0: episode 46 with mike milner so today's podcast name is building the roadmap to individualizing nutrition and improving diet adherence so in today's episode mike and i dive into the value in building client adherence with your clients and how other nuances with nutrition can have a bigger picture impact on one's approach towards transformation and building a healthier lifestyle we also discussed the importance of building self-efficacy and strategies for improving client buy-in which is ever so important if you're in the coaching world um, and if you're not in the coaching world buying or creating buy-in with yourself or people you love people you're trying to educate or improve their life is increasingly important especially as we go through times like we're currently in if you love today's episode and would like to support myself and the podcast I would ask for you to please head over to iTunes or Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts and leave me a five-star review. And if you can do just one thing, at least tell a friend or someone you know that it could help um, about the podcast. If you're here from Instagram, what's up? Thanks for joining us. Thanks for swiping up. Uh, Thanks for being a part of what we're doing and just being a part of the conversation. If you can share a screenshot of the podcast on your story, if you enjoy things, and be sure to tag myself at austin current and then be sure to tag our guest mike at coach underscore mike underscore milner enjoy the conversation i'm excited to get you on i'm excited to have you on and i know we we try to have a podcast um I mean, it would have been like six months ago or something at this point, but I'm excited to to do it today. And I had some, uh, I had some things, but I know you just kind of released, released a book and um, if you just want to, I think it'd be good to kind of just preface the conversation kind of with that book and what, what we're kind of digging into, and then I'll kind
1: of, you know, go on from there. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, and I'm, I'm happy to go in any direction that you want. Um, so I can pretty much riff on anything. But uh, yeah, the, the book, you know, is, um, I think it's important if, if uh, we can talk more about the, uh, you know, I talk a lot about mindset, I talk a lot about kind of the personalization in the nutrition space and how we kind of should be changing the topic of conversation from like, what diet is best to what diet is best for each individual. Um, so that's kind of like the main, main objective of the book. What's the book called in particular? It's called the Personality Diet right on that goes alongside the rest of your uh,
0: product suite, if you will yeah, yeah, for sure so the first thing I wanted to kind of uh, kind of start with here, uh, I made some notes obviously, and it's going to kind of go down the list here and so first thing, um, as with most things within you know the context of kind of starting or continuing a healthy lifestyle or any diet, um, you know it is about the adherence of things so I guess let's just start there, as far as what value do you put on adherence and how
1: do you ensure you're building a plan your clients can actually adhere to? Yeah, so I think that's everything. I think that it's funny, you know, sometimes we see these pyramids and it's like the order of importance and then at the bottom you've got like calories and then you've got macros and then micros and then meal timing and frequency and then supplements. I I put adherence, you know, kind of like as this overarching theme around the entire pyramid because without it, none of the rest matters. So, you know, we can talk about calories and energy balance until we're blue in the face, but if we can't adhere to what we're doing, then what good is having that conversation? So that's like the starting point for me is how can we make this process as easy to adhere to as possible? And that doesn't mean that it's, there's not going to be work or there's not going to be discipline, but I think often too much gets placed on the discipline and willpower where those should be like, you know, it's like a, Battery, and we don't want to ch- we don't want to drain those batteries because when we need it, when life gets stressful, when things come up like you know a pandemic or something like that, and stress really is increased, that's when we want to be able to use that discipline and willpower um, from a fully charged place. So I look at it as if we can create something that is easier to adhere to that doesn't require as much discipline and willpower, then it puts us in an advantageous position. So I always look at that first is let's look at what your lifestyle is, you know, your habits, your current mindset, your current training, your diet history, what foods you enjoy. I think even from, you know, one of the most overlooked aspects of fitness is that it should be enjoyable, right? Like this is going to enhance your life. And as simple as it is to say, I think it often gets overlooked that we should actually be enjoying this. So I've had, you know, people come to me and they're like, you know, I'm trying to stick to my diet. I'm not eating any carbs, even though I love carbs and it's like, wait, let's back up. You know, we're taking the enjoyment piece out of the equation right on the front end. How likely are you to adhere to that plan? Um and you know, that's not to pick on like a low carb plan, but it's just to to put in context that we should be enjoying what we're doing. And the more that we have to overhaul everything in our life to fit within a fitness protocol, the less likely we are to adhere to it long term. Yeah, I like that a lot and I agree. And
0: so when you when you refer to personality are you are you referring to preference or kind of break down what personality looks like within the context of kind of how you make decisions and ask questions and stuff like that
1: yeah so i kind of go through the a few different layers the first layer is like let's get the basic information about your personal preference your lifestyle you know your non-negotiables if they're you know if you're somebody who likes to be more social you like to have a glass of wine every night or, you know, you like to have a couple beers on the weekend or you have a family tradition of, you know, pasta Saturday, whatever the case may be, like, let's look at the context of your lifestyle and your habits and those sort of things first. Um, and obviously we have to understand, you know, goals matter as well. So um, depending on how extreme the goal is, that is going to determine how many sacrifices we have to make. But uh, then when we look at the personality, um, I actually put everybody through an assessment, which is a hundred question questionnaire to break down personality types into five different profiles. And um, what that does is, is it helps me get, get insight to kind of like the brain chemistry. So something that I'm super passionate about is psychology. And, you know, psychologists have been studying the correlation between personality traits and neurotransmitter balance. So somebody who might be more outgoing, extroverted, uh, more of a risk taker, more goal oriented, uh, they're likely a dopamine dominant individual. So dopamine being the neurotransmitter, that's kind of that reward seeking um, or pleasure center of the brain. And um, so if I know some personality traits about that individual, I can kind of get some insight into the way that they're wired and start to accommodate for that. So that's kind of like the second layer is let's actually look at your personality type. And, you know, the reason why that's important is if I have that dopamine-dominant individual, and they're very competitive, they're very outgoing, risk-taker, goal-oriented, and I try and set them up on a very methodical, boring plan, like we're going to have the same set of macros every single day, a very modest deficit, this is going to be a long process, they're going to lose interest, they're not going to stay motivated, Uh, they're going to think they can do it better on their own, so if I can kind of play to that brain chemistry a little bit, then I can um, get them that early buy-in and give them what they want on the front end. Um, On the flip side of that, you have people who are very... Introverted, kind of like structured, organized, very repetitive. They like to know what's coming in advance as far out in advance. Typically, those individuals have low serotonin, serotonin being the neurotransmitter that's responsible for contentment, sense of well being, um, safety. And so, if they have low serotonin, they typically have higher anxiety. So, for them, if I want to kind of ease that anxious personality type, I can give them a you know, the same set of macros, the same type of meals every day. They're, you know, they love repetition. They love structure because knowing what's coming, having that predictable plan, having that structure and repetition is going to ease their anxiety. It's going to cater to their personality type. So those are just some examples of considerations that we would take as far as how can we, um, you know, cater the plan to your personality type. Um, So that first kind of step is let's look at, what your lifestyle looks like and your current habits and what you enjoy doing. And then let's look at your actual personality type and start to implement some of those protocols around that. Yeah.
0: I mean, I like that a lot and yeah, it's the, the probably the toughest thing, Um, you know, in the six years or so that we've been, you know, doing this stuff online um, and coaching clients online from all different walks of life, ages, cultures, you name it. And it's, and I know you're in the same boat, and it's so interesting to try and kind of have that one-size-fits-all approach. Um, you know, that we're, we're, you know, I think we're constantly trying to educate against the one-size-fits-all approach and to be individualized, and, you know, that's something that, you know, I know, uh, you know, a, a friend of ours, Cody McGroom, you know, he's kind of gone his own, treacherous his own path with the tailored coaching method and trying to get away from almost the buzzword that, individualization has sort of took um, or become. But, you know, whatever that word means uh, to you, whether you're a coach or someone who just loves to train or kind of wants to get on track, I think inevitably there's sort of these, um, you know, a a friend of mine and a great educator and coach, Luke Talik, kind of discusses these things as friction points, basically these points where we're meeting sort of, a, a roadblock or, um, just that friction point of, of creating some, some resistance within a, a certain path. Right. Uh, so based off of kind of building out someone's, especially nutritional programming based off of more, more of their personality, uh, do you find that there's less friction within those, uh, kind of whether we're looking at like a three or six month sort of stent, uh, do you, do you see less friction or do you see different problems sort of arise or is it the same constant ones or
1: what's that breakdown look like? Yeah, it's a great question. I would say that, you know, there's less friction in all of a sudden when you're kind of giving somebody permission to be who they are, it can be very liberating. And I think that initially there's a lot of like excitement and, um, you know, realizing that, uh, You know, that you're not, it's not your fault that if you've tried a bunch of things and nothing has worked and you realize, you know, maybe this just wasn't the right fit because oftentimes we think, well, I'm the common denominator. So it must be that I'm, you know, broken or there's something wrong with me. And so kind of giving somebody permission to say, you know, there's nothing wrong with you. Like maybe it was just a a shoe that didn't fit and let's try this one on instead. Uh, I think initially there's uh, a kind of liberating part of the process. And then I would say, as kind of different problems arise, it's more about the fact that a lot of the, um, you know, a lot of the excuses have kind of been removed and, and it can be very vulnerable to really dive into some of that internal work. Um, I'm big on mindset. So uh, creating some awareness around some of these automatic behavior patterns that may not be serving you, um, or some things that you might have as far as self-limiting beliefs about yourself. Uh, So all of a sudden, you may have thought that this was just about nutrition. And now we're going into your mindset and stories that you're telling yourself and um, really doing some more mindfulness work. And uh, sometimes that can be a friction point. Like, yeah, just tell me what to eat and I'm going to go do it versus um, we're going to start peeling back some of these layers and, and finding why does this matter for you anyway? What's the intrinsic motivation that you have to keep you going? And uh, I'm, like I said, I'm I'm very passionate about the psychology side of things. So that's kind of always what I look at is, uh, you know, we know from research that intrinsic motivators are more powerful and more reliable than extrinsic. Uh, We also know that things like having a dichotomous mindset around food is predictive of, of diet failure. So now, looking at your relationship with food, are you viewing it as black and white, good versus bad? Uh, some of that mindset stuff then can create a friction point because, like I said, it might—you know—this might not be what you signed up for. And I try and, you know, my messaging is is pretty clear that you know my my podcast name is Mind Over Macros for a reason. I, I do believe very much in the mindset side of things, but oftentimes people just want to come in and and be told what to do and and to go do it. And um, so I would say that it's it does create less friction as far as the permission to be who you are, the self-awareness that it creates the, um, you know, that we're not blaming you for anything, but at the same time, there's a lot of responsibility in doing some self-reflection and, you know, digging a little bit deeper on an internal level. And and that can be a tough thing for, you know, not a lot of people are, are comfortable or haven't gone there and it can be a vulnerable, scary place to go.
0: Yeah. I talk a lot about, um, on this podcast kind of one of the best things you can do, uh, or start doing is to, you know, ask yourself more questions because you'd be, you'd be surprised on how many answers you actually do have. And I talk a lot about introspection and, you know, sitting with your thoughts and allowing yourself to just kind of be in silence and reduce input to see what kind of output comes, comes out. So, you know, people who've listened to this podcast, uh, week by week kind of understand that's what we you know we talked a lot about that but one thing I want to ask you because you know I know a lot of coaches right now uh you know coaches make up probably the majority of the, the audience that listen to, to this podcast so as far as as far as you know I, I know a lot of are probably sitting in their cars or on their walks right now like nodding their head like a bobblehead sort of mode of yeah man I you know I agree with everything you're saying but The bridging the gap in the transfer of knowledge from, let's say, just textbook to application is probably one of the hardest things to do as a coach or just a practitioner in general or someone who tries to educate, you know, a population of any kind. So I guess my question to you here is, what are some pieces of advice for those listening, for coaches? You know, what is your week to week process look like as far as taking clients through this journey because you know I know again like I know sitting here you know there's a lot of people just nodding their head like hell yeah like I implement this in my practice but then there's a lot of like honesty and truth that has to come out with like you may be thinking these things but are you actually implementing these things within your coaching practice so I guess what are your
1: pieces of advice how does that look like on what does that look like on a week-to-week basis for you? Yeah, I would say that is the biggest challenge, Um, and and that's why I think uh, part of the process that I found to be the most beneficial is I don't try and solve everything for everyone, and I don't push everybody into like, you know, this is what you need to educate yourself on. I I believe very much in education, but I also believe that people kind of have to walk their own path. And so I take more of a motivational interviewing approach where I want the client to get there on their own and just kind of be like the the captain that's steering the ship or or helping them down the path along the way. But um, regardless, if somebody comes to me and even if they have all of these preconceived notions or these um, pre-existing beliefs about something, I'm not going to, you know, really say, oh, well, that's wrong. And here's the here's the study that proves that wrong, because that's not going to do anything. And, you know, I've done a lot of research on um, people being very steadfast in their beliefs. And it's actually pretty difficult, even in the face of evidence for people to change a pre-existing belief. And um, there are some pretty fascinating studies done at Stanford that showed this, where it was like, people would literally come up with a conclusion. And then the the people who are doing the test would say, here is the evidence exactly to the contrary. And a remarkably high number of of students would not change the conclusion that they just came to um and it's and it's interesting so Ah, uh, the point being that if you are just trying to like bark education or studies at people um, it it doesn't really it's not that effective so i I try to take a motivational interviewing approach where I ask more questions. like you said, one of the best things you can do is get people to ask more questions of themselves and um, so that is my process. It's more of a uh, let's let's dive into this, let's see where this goes and uh, help people on their own journey for um, wanting to ask for the information and then it's going to be received. So we do have, you know, the education available to them when they're ready to receive it. And usually it's a, oh, I'd like to learn more about that. Is there anything you can point me to? And it's like, yeah, absolutely. Here's a book that I recommend. Here's a study that I recommend. And then we can start to connect the dots between education. And that really helps kind of solidify the work that we're doing. And um, we do a lot of on the mindset side of things where um, we have, you know, processes and courses that will have people go through that exact practice of just sitting with their thoughts and, um, you know, being able to, become more aware. And um, I call it like shining the flashlight. So it's like, where is your attention right now? And we're going to practice this um, process of shining a flashlight on what your thoughts and feelings are. And then just watching them pass kind of like a cloud going by, realizing that, uh, you know, it's all transient, the emotions, the thoughts, and that you don't have to have an immediate behavior associated with that thought. Um, And even if you do not to judge it, just to be aware of it and trying to get people to that point of being a observer, almost like behind the scenes observer of what's going on. And um, so a lot of that is part of the coaching process that we go through. And, you know, we provide a lot of resources and have a lot of communication just because uh, I feel like that uh, needs to be done. If I, I think that, even from my own experience, if if I'm given something and it's like, here, go at your own pace and try to learn these things, I might do it, but I have to be really into it. And I find that a lot of people when left to their own devices, they, you know, might not put in the time. So I think that having some form of structure where we're actually kind of walking along that path with them and then, you know, filling in the gaps as they request it. So um, I know this is more of like a conceptual way and it's not super tangible but we do a lot of motivational interviewing then we try and piece things together with the education that's needed for that particular client so we don't have like every client has to go through this this and this it really depends on the person yeah I mean I like that a lot it, so let's
0: take that a little layer deeper because I just want to pick your brain as someone who does this um, you know on a weekly basis with you know a handful of clients what does that process look like um, just one step deeper so let's say a client let's just take an avatar you know client a um, comes to this sort of friction point roadblock uh, let's say that you know they've just for example like let's say they've they've been on a path they've been successful <clears throat> for the last week two weeks three weeks and then they hit sort of an episode of whether, you know, they just, they typically categorize as a binge, but I think that's kind of an extreme way of, I think that's just sometimes the vocabulary we know. Um, It's not necessarily a binge as much as just an episode of overeating or going beyond what you otherwise should have based off the structure of what your coach laid out for you. So um, I think binge is sometimes an extreme word used that we're maybe sometimes misusing um, and it desensitizes it. But let's say kind of that situation. So the client A, you know, they've been great for a month and they kind of have this episode one or two days of overeating, kind of overstretching that limit that they've really structured out and they've been proud of hitting. What are some of the questions, like what style of questions, what sort of questions would you sort of ask that client um, in a motivational interviewer type of format to get them to come to their own conclusions and start to
1: answer their own questions and solve their own problems? Yeah. So the first thing that I ask is, you know, how do you feel about that? Because I think oftentimes we project uh, and this is something that's very challenging as a coach, as you know, we kind of see the world through our own personal lens and uh, it's kind of colored by our own judgments. And sometimes we can project that if somebody comes to me and says, you know, I I overate uh, Saturday and Sunday my instinct might be to project that that's a negative thing. But if I actually ask them, they might say, Oh, it, it was totally fine. And it, they might not have an issue with it. So, you know, getting, trying to remove first of all, like any projections, which, which is why I think the, the motivational interviewing helps where um, you're not saying like oh you know i'm sorry that's that's awful like let's try to fix this but more saying you know what did that look like how did that make you feel what were the emotions that that were going on in your head um and then we we try if it is something that they're like you know what this is just something that i don't want to happen again um we start to dig a little bit deeper why what is you know what in that experience made you feel this emotion what is it and we start to unpack you know what's going on below the surface as far as maybe it was i feel guilty i feel like a failure and um, it can start to expose some some of the relationship with food issues i think a lot of people during this current situation are realizing uh, that right now there's really no way to hide from your relationship with food it's kind of out there where you know we're, we're at home more we're kind of you know, in this place of uncertainty and there's a lot of boredom and stress. And, um, so, you know, starting to find out like what's going on and then, um, asking them if they've ever taken the time to actually identify what that feels like or those feelings. And, uh, a lot of times that's kind of the, the next step, which is, you know, I, I've never really put a name to it or I've never really identified it, which can be a very, um, empowering task to name the feelings and actually physically identify what that feels like. So sometimes it's like, yeah, and then I had this uh, shortness of breath and tightness in my chest and and then we put a name to the emotion and all of a sudden it's like this, this thing that I can tangibly grasp onto versus an unknown concept because oftentimes our tendency is to All we know is there's a feeling that I don't want to feel. So I want to suppress it or I want to distract myself from it. And again, we know this from research that there's a rebound effect. So the more that I suppress a feeling, the more that it's going to come up. It's like if I try really hard to think about falling asleep, I'm not going to fall asleep, and it's that's kind of how we how we handle emotions. It's like let me just suppress this or distract from it, but those are going to come back. So rather than sitting with it, accepting it without judgment. So um, and then another helpful process would be: um, Have you ever noticed this trend before? And you know, then they start to think back, like, yes, this happened four weeks ago. And then did you ever think about, um, you know, what some of the commonalities were, we can start to spot some trends that exist. And, you know, we've come up in in different situations, I've had clients who have connected the dots between um, an argument with the spouse, and the overeating episode or uh, something with their kids. And an overeating episode now all of a sudden we kind of know where the trigger lies um, and now we can kind of create some sort of mindfulness practice around the trigger and the automatic behavior that follows, but we're going to work on creating space between the behavior or between the trigger and the behavior, so that we have room for conscious choice and to choose a more productive outlet. And the conscious choice may still be to overeat, but once we get to a place where it is a conscious choice, um, that's how we know we're kind of on the right path to um, you know to, to replacing that automatic behavior with something that's uh, more in line with what they want to accomplish.
0: Yeah, I mean, I like that a lot. So as far as like that refractory period in between the let's say like you know a common thing that i think people would be familiar with uh would be kind of looking at uh, behaviors in terms of habits so you know atomic you know james clear uh his atomic habit habits book is you know pretty popular especially among those who are probably listening to this podcast so thinking of like the cue the thing that got you the cue leading to the behavior, leading to the habit. It's kind of that moment in between what triggers, what's the catalyst for that behavior to happen. And I think that's really where mindfulness and the, posit- the positive aspects of mindfulness and meditation practice can give you. And I think what's probably one of the most un- misunderstood parts of meditation or just getting better at mindfulness is thinking, you know, that common misnomer of like, Mindfulness or meditation is just I have to just clear out all my thoughts and um, You know, I know you've heard this a million times, but just talking through it with those listening. So one of the biggest misnomers is you know, just thinking that you have to sit there and Get rid of all thoughts and you're just supposed to focus on the breath and it's not about that as much as it's about becoming aware of these these interjections these distractions acknowledging them. And then being able to, and I talk a lot about detachment. So being able to detach from these things. And again, like, just like you said, the clouds kind of floating by, I like the analogy of, you know, just yesterday I was, um, in front of a, a Creek that was flowing, you know, the water was flowing. We're here in Colorado, we're up in the mountains and this, this Creek was just flowing. Um, you know, there's rocks, there's sort of some white water going, and we're just sitting there reading our book. And, you know, I had a thought, come in my head when I was reading that distracted me. And I just, I caught myself looking at the stream and I just noticed my head kind of follow the stick down the stream. And that's exactly what's happening. It's kind of being able to come to terms and detach yourself. So whatever's happening, whether that's a friction point or some sort of cue that, like an argument that initiates this response of overeating or doing things you otherwise wouldn't want to do, Imagine or take that cue or that friction point as the stick, you know, and you throw that stick into the river and you just, you detach yourself from it and then you allow yourself just kind of watch it go down through your field of vision and just leave your field of vision and down the stream and away it goes. Um, So I like that a lot, me, and I really do. And that's something that I think everyone can get from a meditation or mindfulness practice Is just the ability to kind of detach and, you know, add to that refractory period, add to that point where, you know, if that's, let's say that's just a millisecond, can we add it? Can we hypertrophy that? You know, so a term that people are obsessed with, can we hypertrophy that refractory period to a millisecond to a second? Because to have a second to think about something and consider an action and a response is going to help you and index greater return in all aspects of your life, whether that's relationships, whether that's your professional endeavors, your personal endeavors, whatever that is. Um, Yeah, man, so I like that a lot. And um, you also mentioned uh, some things as far as the kind of the individual nuances to nutrition. So um, past the point of kind of what we've already touched on what what are some
1: other individual nuances to nutrition if there are any past what kind of what we've been kind of discussing yeah definitely and that was beautifully said by the way and i think another misconception with with uh, meditation is the objective of getting better at meditation a lot of people go into it with like this goal of all right i'm going to get really good at meditation and that's kind of paradoxical and the harder that we try to get good it's it's the opposite effect so um, just understanding that there really isn't a um, an end goal which can be hard for some people to grasp um, but I think that when it comes to individual nutrition another thing that I like to talk about is that we look often look at macros versus intuitive eating and it's something that I feel like our they're both tools that we should be adding to our toolbox. It shouldn't be a one or the other. It should be something that uh, we can pull out in the right context. So it's like if I look at, you know, macros as a hammer and intuitive eating as a screwdriver, you know, then they both have their place depending on what job needs to get done. Um, So when it comes to an individual, I think that um, we often have this uh, kind of mindset that, well, everybody should be doing, macros just track your macros seven days a week and that way you can include foods like pizza as long as you track it Um, and for some people that can cause you know even more stress and it can cause uh, you know obsessive tendencies and uh, it just doesn't fit with with their lifestyle and what they're trying to accomplish and obviously we have to understand what their goals are and I think for as an education process it's very beneficial for, for everybody to go through some period of creating awareness around portion sizes and reading food labels and knowing, uh, what's in their food. But, um, again, it, it should not be a either, or it should be a, uh, you know, also an, and it should be both. It should be, um, what tool are we using for what job? So, um, that's one of the things that, you know, there's certain people that do really well with not tracking anything. There's certain people that do well with tracking and then there's everything in between. So some clients who just want a couple of days just to check in and make sure that they're, you know, that they're kind of tracking and one or two days a week to see where they land. And there's other people on the flip side of that, where they want, you know, a couple of days off from tracking and it can kind of really go all across the spectrum. So I think that's one thing that um, we often see the macros versus intuitive eating people, butting heads. And really it's uh, you know, I just think it's an argument that's not worth having because it should be, how can we teach people both and um, make people more well-versed when it comes to their own nutritional needs? Yeah, man. So let's go to the application.
0: So taking that into application, how is that conversation? What does that conversation look like with you and a client in trying to come down to How many days, you know, are you someone who, and I know there's a personality uh, assessment that you do, but is there anything past that to the point of a conversation where how is this client the person that needs two days to track just to make sure they're on the right course? Or how do I figure out that this is the person that wants to do the kind of a five-two ratio of tracking five days and two days off, you know, thinking about week
1: versus weekend. Um, So what does that conversation look like and how do you put that into application? Yeah. So the first conversation is, uh, what do they prefer? And if, do they have any experience with either? Um, a lot of people come to me from a macro tracking background. Um, but I've, you know, I've had both, but ultimately it's, uh, what do you prefer? What have you found in the past? What's the dieting history? Like, uh, for some people it's like, well, I, I love tracking every single day. I want to know exactly what I'm eating seven days a week. And then I'll say, um, how does it make you feel if you had a day that you weren't tracking? It's like, I I'd be lost. I only, and I said, you know, is that something that you want to work on or is it something that you're okay with? Right. So trying to get them to the answer. Um, and so first looking at what do they prefer? Um, and then looking at, you know, is there something, is there a skill set that they really want to acquire? And like I said, you know, sometimes you just have to let people, um, you know, make that choice when they're ready. So if somebody says, I just don't, you know, I'm, I like this, it's working for me and I don't care. I don't want to learn intuitive eating right now, or I don't want to apply it. I should say, um, that's not something that I'm going to say, well, you have to, uh, I want them to, to come to that conclusion on their own. So typically the conversation is really just, what's your preference? What, what have you had experience in the past? Why did you like that approach or why didn't you like that approach? And then we can start to come to the conclusion. And then I typically will say, you know, all right, well, what's your confidence level on a scale of one to ten just to get an easy assessment if we're you know going to do five days a week of tracking and two days of un- of not tracking what's your confidence level that um, you'll be able to sustain that and that'll feel good for you and um, trying to assess what their mindset is around it so I prefer for somebody to be in that like eight to ten range on the confidence scale and if not I'll start to ask questions why isn't that a why isn't that a nine or why isn't that a 10? And then we can start to get through uh, some of the mental roadblocks that may be coming up as far as, uh, well, I just don't trust myself without macros. And now we can start to, you know, go down that path.
0: Yeah. So I guess to expand on that, you know, expand on the whole adherence and the whole um, sort of sense of setting up a plan based off someone's personality or based on someone's preference or past training history, which, roundabout just saying based on the individual, it's, you know, themselves past adherence. We got to look at self-efficacy and we have, and I know this is, you know, someone who looks into or is obsessed with looking into psychology and the mindset behind dieting and behind behavior change and transformation. Self-efficacy has to be a part of that conversation in my opinion. So when we look at self-efficacy, you know, you mentioned that's Your strategy towards that is, again, first it starts with the assessment, figuring out where someone's at, and then it gets goes into the motivational interviewing format of, okay, if you're not, let's say, a confidence interval of eight out of ten, now we got to start to ask some some more deep, you know, deeper questions and really sort of pick and pry at why, you know, why are you a six or why are you a four out of ten on this or, um, you know, something like that. So, kind of expanding on let's say those are the first two steps, let's say step three being self-efficacy and leaving someone with the ability and the confidence to sort of trudge this path on their own, what does that next step look like? And how are you constantly evolving steps one and two, I guess, to
1: lead to three? Yeah. So I think that I couldn't agree more. I think the ultimate goal for every coach should be to get their clients to a place where they feel totally self-reliant and that they don't need a coach. And I know it's like we're working ourselves out of a job, but I think that's the best approach for for everybody. And uh, you know, those who take that path tend to see the value in coaching anyway. Um, so even when they know what they're doing, they they appreciate the accountability and the support and everything that coaching offers. So I don't think it's something that we need to have a scarcity mindset around. I think it really is is more beneficial to both coach and client. But um, so when we get to that point, it's you know I like to kind of layer things. So once we've you know established the the initial starting point and getting them to the, the, um, if it's, let's just say it is a five and we start to ask those questions. Why isn't this higher or what would, would make it a seven? What would make it an eight? Um, now we start to get some answers as far as they're taking the, you know, they're making the choice. So, um, you know, for some people it's, well, I would feel more confident if I, didn't have to practice those two days of, of not tracking. So we're just not ready for that. So I kind of take things in a, in a step-by-step approach and always letting the client kind of make the decision, even though I'm trying to to guide the ship. It's, you know, if, if we did X or sometimes they'll say, I don't know, I don't know what would make it an eight. Then we kind of have to start asking more questions. Well, if you think, if we just took a habit-based approach. And all I asked you to do was, um, you know, get in three meals a day and have, you know, veggies with two of those meals and lean protein at all three of them. Then where's your confidence? So now we've kind of tried to, you know, take it back a step and um, maybe it's just even oversimplifying. You know, what if we just started with uh, your, your movement and your water intake and now we get them to that eight or that nine. Um, and then we take the next layer as to, all right, this feels pretty good. You've accomplished this for a certain period of time. Um, you know, are you, you know, we had talked about previously adding some track days in there. What's your confidence if we, uh, added two days of tracking and, and now it's, you know, instead of that five, now we're at a seven or eight and they're making that choice. So the self-efficacy is, is really through, it's kind of built into that, procedure of, um, I'm not saying, hey, this is what you're going to do. Now go do it. It's more of we're asking the question, then we're getting them to report back on their confidence. And then um, hopefully getting them to answer what would make it a higher confidence score. But if we need to kind of interject and say, what do you think about this idea? Does that help? Or we may have to go back a step and say, you know, it's okay. Let's just go, go to the basics. And um, if that's an eight or a nine, I'd rather you be consistent with an eight or a nine, than try and bite off more than we can chew right absolutely man so the next thing here um i think that's huge
0: and taking so one thing that i I commonly say um you know let's say i'm talking to a client or a potential client on the phone and you know probably the one of the most asked questions that i get i know is you know where where are things gonna go what's your plan because that's probably the biggest thing is clients want to know especially if this is their t- their personality type or what they're sort of needing like as you mentioned towards the beginning, where is this all going? What is the story that's going to unfold over the next three, six, twelve months uh, for me? So that's probably the biggest thing that you're trying to set up. And one thing that I you know commonly say to folks that ask that question is, I'm gonna I'm gonna we're gonna start things somewhere between, where you're coming from and where you want to go. And I'm going to have to meet you in the middle to where you're currently at. Right? So obviously we have all the things that are in the past. We have your past training history, your past nutrition history, your dieting history, your, um, sort of your psychological outlook on all the the entire process itself, what your lifestyle looks like, what your daily life looks like, um, what your responsibilities look like as a parent or You know, a guardian of some kind, or someone just with a ton of responsibilities, or are you someone without responsibility? Um, And there's, you know, so there's so many of these factors. And obviously, you get into that more and more with asking good questions within your assessment process. And that's why a good intake questionnaire and a good intake form and those assessment processes on the front end, the better you get at asking questions on the front end, the easier your job gets with meeting someone in the middle, you know, meeting someone where they're at and taking them from where they've been to closer to where they want to go. And so I had a note to kind of just start to discuss building the story for the client. And I want to know if this is kind of something that you do. It sounds like you do as far as kind of connecting as we've labeled kind of parts one, two into three, as you get through those things and as you move through those steps, let's say it's six to 12 months down the road, you're starting to have that story unfold. But for those clients that aren't as in tune or sort of free will or free spirited towards, hey, I'm just gonna see where Mike takes me or insert coach's name takes me, I wanna know kind of where we're going. And I think on the behalf of a coach and one of the best things you can do for buy-in is let that client know what's going to happen or your best guess at what's going to happen based off what we've set up. And if the, you know, let's say you've you forecasted, hey, I think these, based off how we set these things up, I think these five points are gonna happen. Let's say four of those do come true and the fifth was kind of hanging in the air. Well, four out of five is a pretty damn good score. And I think you're gonna have a pretty good buy-in from that client when things of you know, start to check themselves off on that five-point list, for example. So. What is, you know, what's your step process, if you have one, that sort of takes or starts to build that story out from a client, for a client, when do you start to implement that? When do you start to talk about that stuff? And what, that, what does that look like for you?
1: Yeah, so that's something that we talk about on the front end. And I'm a big fan of kind of reverse engineering the process. And I agree that having kind of a roadmap um, is important. And, and from um, looking at the literature, one of the cool things is that when you're setting goals, um, we know that kind of that year-long mark is is really the point where it's um, not too far out, that it can still be something that we want to go after once we get into that like two-year, three-year. It's not really tangible enough. Um, that's not to say that there's not you know value in setting a five- or ten-year plan, but we know that that's kind of that benchmark uh, based off of literature. The cool thing about setting goals is that in the beginning process, the day-to-day, is actually more important than the goal itself. And we see that once people get to that halfway point where the goal is now almost there, then the end goal actually shifts to more important to kind of keep that motivation and keep, um, you know, the interests engaged. So, um, in the beginning, as we kind of set this, this path and we talk about what that's going to look like, and then we reverse engineer that, okay, this is where you want to be. We're going to reverse engineer that and break it down into phases. And then we're going to break those phases down even further. And now we've got kind of our weekly and daily action items, um, now we can start to see the process unfold. And as we kind of cross that, that threshold, that midway point, um, we're going to shine that light a little bit like, Hey, remember that goal that we set, look where we're at right now. Um, and, and just again, kind of pointing them in that direction. But I always like to set the stage for expectation for the next phase of, okay, you know, here's what we've accomplished so far. Um, I like to also go through a process of I'm going to sound super woo woo here, but like a process of gratitude to to appreciate where we've come from. Uh, Like, remember when you started and, you know, this has only been four weeks, but, you know, this is where what we've accomplished. Like, let's take a moment and uh, write down some things that you appreciate or that you're grateful for about this this last four week process that we've gone through and here's what the next phase is going to look like and um, you know here are some of the potential and I'll actually ask them you know, what are the potential roadblocks that you foresee coming up in this next phase um, so I think when we uh, start to outline that one of the important parts of that process that really not a lot of people talk about is if we, if we approach things from that perspective uh, we end up potentially getting to a point where we on our own realize that We're not willing to make the sacrifice that it would take to get to the goal we thought we wanted, which as a self-realization is totally fine. But if I were to say on the front end, hey, you know, you came to me with this goal of getting shredded and, you know, having a six pack, whatever the case may be. um, But you also, uh, you know, are are drinking, you know, every weekend and you're going to have have to give that up if you want this goal I'm going to lose that that buy-in you talked about the buy-in on the front end whereas if we go through the process of getting leaner and leaner and now we're like okay here's the next phase and it's are you willing to give up this thing that we've built into your plan and that to that next level that might be the path that we need to take and it's you know what I'm really happy with where I'm at right now I have flexibility in my life to still enjoy myself on the weekends it doesn't feel restrictive and uh, that next level of leanness isn't really something that I want but walking that path of actually getting there, you know, like you said, it's like we've gotten four fifths of the way there and now we just are not quite ready to take the next sacrifice. And then maybe, you know, somewhere down the road, I might want to, you know, step on stage or compete or do something like that. And now I'm ready for that sacrifice. But um, I think that going through that process of setting the expectation, letting, you know, going through those phases and then kind of reverse engineering the process of goal setting, uh, it helps without just saying, you know what, you're going to have to make all of these sacrifices to get to this angle. And I, I like to break it down more into chunks. Yeah. So I, I think that's
0: huge. And I, you know, I'm writing, I'm writing a book right now. And, you know, without, without the people kind of behind the scenes that are helping me sort of within this goal and within this project and setting these, you know, this is something that I I can relate to on my behalf right now is, you know, setting these these far out like big long-term goals and they're breaking them down to okay over the next couple of days please get this information back to me okay over the next couple of weeks this is kind of what we're working on over the coming months this is kind of what's going to be put together we'll be done with part two we'll be moving into part three and that's exactly how this all is working and i think that's crucial and i love how you set that up is talking and taking things because i think you know many people you know whether a common person that kind of talks about this is, is Gary Vee, and whether you're you know a fan of him or not, um, I'm overall a fan of Gary Vee and what he what his messaging is. Um, you know, I think we all go through phases where you need it. You know, it's kind of like motivation early on in your career, early on in your life, or whatever phase you're in right now. You know, you you need certain things at certain times. So, like when I was 18, 19 years old, I needed motivational. Speaking I needed motivational ebooks and podcasts to listen to but now it's one of those things that I Don't even I almost immediately when it comes on I start to like Meditate and go beyond and I almost can't even hear it anymore because I tune it out Um, so, you know, we go throughout these phases where we just need things and um, We need certain things in our lives so being able to not only identify that but then figure out what that long-term goal is, reverse engineer that, and why I brought up Gary Vee is that term reverse engineering and sort of with his co- aspects of the business world, but this and the nutrition space and the transformation space I think is huge because you're taking, and this is something that I've learned um, you know, for, through my certification with Precision Nutrition is they do such a great job at sort of teaching coaches this process and something that you've impl- you know, you're implementing within your own coaching, within your writing, is being able to take an unforeseen goal and break it up into manageable pieces, which then causes buy-in, which then instills belief and confidence that you can even achieve this goal. And I think that's probably one of the hardest things to do for someone. But if you can tell that story, you know, build out that story for the client, what's going on. Here's our goal. Here's the week to week breakdown. Um, this is going to lead to phase two of this goal. If we break it down into four parts, you know, f- after phase two, we'll move on to phase, you know, phase three and kind of telling that story for them and breaking it down, but then creating manageable steps, which I love. And the second thing I wanted to break down there and sort of, I think, I don't know if I have a mission at all, but if I had a mission over the next you know, couple of years of my doing me doing podcast, it would be to kind of break down that stigma and not have people feel as if they need to preface a statement with, this is going to be woo-woo. I'm not downing that at all, because I say it too, and I catch myself, because I'm just like, in my own pet peeve world, it's like, why do we even need to preface that? Like, gratitude and awareness and reflection, like, these are fundamental cornerstones of being human and appreciating what is in front of us and appreciating whether that's the evolution of what's happened or, you know, what we currently have in our life of what we're striving for. Like, if you're not constantly self-reflecting and being grateful and actualizing what you've actually built and worked for and have, what's the point of doing these things? You're just ticking boxes just to tick them. And then, so if you, the whole point of becoming, let's say leaner, One, obviously increasing health markers and increasing longevity of life and quality of life, but it's the fundamentally, you probably wanna look better. You wanna feel better. You want people to see you differently. You wanna see yourself differently. Um, And you wanna achieve things that are greater than that of your your physique. But I I think for a lot of people, that's sort of the first roadblock that's standing in the way of their own self-confidence and efficacy. Uh, within other endeavors so it's one of those things that I think it's so important to almost remove the stigma of hold on this is woo woo stick with me and just removing that stigma altogether if I could just sort of rip that out and go right into like all right let's self-reflect let's let's figure out what we're grateful for of these past four weeks you know how far look of how far we've come how does that feel for you is this something you're proud of that you did? Are there things that you think you could improve upon? Like, you know, I don't know if you know where your head's at with all that, but I just kind of wanted to point that out, and I hope those who are listening are kind of we can kind of start to normalize that that conversation a bit, because um, even you have guys like, you know, Joe Rogan, like all these guys who, you know, sort of live this way but they still see as if they have to preface something with saying that, which I find fascinating. I don't know where it is
1: in that language that that's so crucial that we preface. Yeah. You know, what's interesting about that is first of all, I'm I'm grateful that you brought that up. And one of the things that I think is interesting is in the fitness space, I think that there's this, um, this kind of need to be scientific and to, You know, you've got people out there who want to, quote, study after study and talk about, you know, progressive overload, calorie deficit, all of these, you know, scientific concepts. And sometimes it can be seen as like maybe counterculture. If I'm over here talking about gratitude and self-reflection and introspection and awareness and meditation. The interesting thing about that and the irony about that is that mindfulness is incredibly well-researched and it's very, is, scientific. Is very scientific. And there's, you know, even from like, you know, people who practice mindfulness and weight management and, um, you know, healthier relationship with food and things directly related to health and body composition and um, these things that we feel like maybe we're going against the grain, but it is very well researched. So that's kind of the irony of it all is sometimes we feel like, oh, well, I'm not being scientific enough. I'm being out there, but it actually is also well backed by research.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's backed by the research done by probably one of the most difficult fields to be in, and that's the neuroscience field, right? So you, you know, you got these forefront leaders of, of the neuroscience community Um, that a lot, you know, a lot are unknown to the public. But, you know, you have these more known figures, you know, such as Sam Harris and, and guys like, you know, whether it's Jordan Peterson, Sam Harris, you know, these guys that are a little bit more popular now, um, who are in more of like the neuroscience, mental health, psychology fields, and or Dr. Lori Santos is making a big sort of emergence in her work and uh, fulfillment and happiness and, from her free course on Coursera right now over the, so this, the science of happiness and sort of f- fulfillment and um, whatever else that course is about. But it's it's a great course and I love her podcast. Um, what's that podcast called? Let me look it up really quick. I'm gonna, I'm gonna break our streak of flow here in the podcast just to be sure I get this right. Um, the Happiness Lab, I think, yeah, so the Happiness Lab is, is Dr. Lori Santos's uh, podcast. And I've been putting a lot of those episodes in our client community uh, over this you know pandemic time because I think it's so important because she has on researchers who are in the field of whether that's meditation, mindfulness, uh, gratefulness practices, appreciating our appreciation, um, whatever you have it like. She's having these people on, and you know, you got guys again like Sam Harris, Jordan Peterson, all these other guys who are kind of trudging that path on a on a popular culture medium that are within that neuroscience space, which is a very researched and very scientific path and field. And I agree, man. It's it's interesting how that's seen as kind of counterculture, and I think it's sort of that dichotomous relationship. um, sort of dogmatic relationship with sort of the team-centric this versus that, this sense of tribalism um, that sort of happens within our fitness space and diet culture specifically. But even ways of methods of training, we see it with hypertrophy training and strength training with like the CrossFit world. You know, it's, well, there's all these memes on from CrossFitters bashing on people who train just, you know, with a linear approach or nonlinear approach or whatever they're doing in the gym. And then you have this entire other counterculture team B who just shits on CrossFit. You know, obviously there's a ton of other teams that are out there, but those are definitely known ones. Um, and then within the dieting world, you know, we have the teams of low carb ketogenic dieting and then high carb dieting and carnivore dieting and, you know, all these teams that are taking hold and, I think to round out the conversation and kind of bring it all together is just, it's not about the teams we're on. And I, I think, you know, talking to Jeb Stewart uh, Johnson, that's, that's who I talked about um, with tribalism on, on this podcast previous. And that was a very interesting conversation that we got into kind of best practices for kind of introducing new ways of thinking for a client where they don't have to think about what team they're having to, to try out for. You know, this isn't tryouts when you get on the phone with me. You know, I'm not going to pick a winner. or It's not it's not middle school basketball tryouts where there's, you know, or let's say high school basketball tryouts where you're a sophomore and you're either going to be placed on varsity or uh, JVA team or JVB team. Like, it's not any of that. It's just where where do you best fit? where do you need to be and figuring out where that approach is based off so many different, um, psychological factors, assessments, questions you're asking them, um, that are so, so important, but I don't even know where I even got off on that fucking tangent, but I guess it was the woo woo conversation. Um, and the science, kind of the science of the field and ending the dogma and, and dichotomy of the, the black and white thinking of teams and Needing to be this coach or this coach or because even on the side of the coaching industry, you know, we feel this gravitational pull almost this universal pull towards having to establish ourselves as a, as a team, as a, we're this coach, we're this coach, we're this coach. And it's just like, dude, you're a coach. You're here to help humans. You're a human helping another human achieve a goal based off your knowledge base. That's what we're doing. And I, I just, yeah, I guess that's where I'm going to end the tangent there, but I, I'll hand it over to you, man. But I, I think kind of bringing it all together there and maybe just ending this out with kind of the in trying to end some of that dichotomous thinking and the sense of tribalism and teams, although teams can, can help breed adherence. Like, you know, the CrossFit community helps build community and get people into fitness. Um, And I think, you know, we saw this like with, you know, in the eighties and nineties when Atkins was popular and maybe it got people into paying attention to their food and even understanding what a Mac, like what proteins, carbs, and fats are, which can be helpful. But I think you get, when you get lost in almost footholding and paying, you know, paying your yearly dues to your cult team, you know, it's like, that's where we get into trouble is when we're like a foothold in like you start putting stickers on your car of like you know fat over carbs and you know it's just like oh buddy we're we're getting too deep into the team here you know we're, we're
1: losing we're losing sight of the bigger picture yeah and then i'm glad you brought that up i actually have a whole chapter in the book called nutritional ideology which talks about that exact concept and and it it's so true and we you know, when we look at why is that exist you know, from an evolutionary standpoint, we survived as a species because we could work together, we could form groups. So um, we're kind of fighting against this uh, this system that's been programmed into us. And uh, but you know, there's certain times where it really doesn't serve us. And um, being able to understand the difference between like the you know community aspect of something, which is great versus the uh, dogmatic approach. And uh, sometimes it's a it's a tightrope that we have to walk, and we see it uh, oftentimes it, it gets taken to the extreme where where people identify as the way that they train or the way that they eat. It's not that I prefer a carnivore diet, it's I am carnivore, or it's not that I prefer to eat vegan, it's I am a vegan. And, and it literally becomes your identity. And I think that's where um, all of a sudden you see this like, if somebody says, you know what, maybe that's not the best approach for me, it's like met with a personal attack because you're, like you said, it's like you're, you're going against this cult mentality. Um, so, you know, we we understand why there's this, uh, natural tendency for us to form teams and tribes. And, uh, but sometimes we just have to create, you know, that conversation and awareness around the fact that it's, uh, it's not serving us in certain contexts. Yeah. That was put much better than,
0: uh, my my tangent there. I, I'm usually good at not going off on the tangents, but sometimes it just has to be done. Um, and I'm glad it did because it set you up to say that. So I'm really appreciative of that. So let's end things off here. Um, what are some great resources? Obviously, we have your book, which I would highly encourage people to dive into. I've really enjoyed this conversation, and I, you know, myself got a lot out of it, and I think a lot of people are getting a lot out of it as far as being introduced to some of these ideas. Because I think as coaches, and just people interested in fitness in general, but specific to coaches, one of the most influential things of my career has not so much been in the details of the specifics, but it's understanding the general. And I mean, what I mean by that is basically, it's not so much the, the facts and the figures that you need to memorize as much as the generalized topics and conversations and ways of thinking and being critical and topics to look deeper into that I found to be most beneficial in my career. Um, So I'm glad that people are starting to get introduced to some of these things if they've never been introduced to them. So on top of your own book, you can mention that absolutely. And then what are some other great resources for people to start kind of diving into some of
1: this uh, stuff that we've talked about? Yeah, for sure. So um, I appreciate this, this conversation. And uh, I think that one thing that I'll recommend on the front end before I get into other resources is my preference. And this, you know, people are different. So keep that in mind. But my preference is to take one thing and apply that. I think sometimes when we get into this path of self-development or we want to learn something, it's like, all right, I'm going to read this book and I'm going to take this course. I'm going to do this. And then we end up being pulled in 10 different directions. We never actually apply what we're learning. So that was something that I had to learn through my own kind of trial and error that uh, it it makes it much easier to go through either one course or one book and take the principles away from that and apply it and then move on to the next thing. So um, I'm going to rattle off a few resources, but pick and choose your battles here. So, um, you know, I like, I'm, I'm a big fan of Eckhart Tolle. I think the power of now is, is a powerful read power of now powerful read. Um, so that's one thing that I would recommend. Um, I'm also a big fan of, of Ryan holiday's work. Uh, he just, his newest book was stillness is key. Um, that's another one. And then, um, you know, if you are interested on the motivational interviewing side of things, there's a book. I think it's actually called Motivational Interviewing in Fitness. Um, so, kind of walks you through the process of. What that might look like. Um, there is another interesting book that's called *The Psychology of Persuasion*. If you want to understand why we have some of these tendencies, it, it does a great job of explaining some of the automatic behavior patterns and thought patterns that exist. Uh, the tendency to form tribes and how that all happened, and some other just like psychological phenomenon that are pretty interesting, and it, it helps to understand some of these things that we see that that can seem pretty random, but they all kind of make sense when you understand the, the rationale behind it or why that, you know, either from evolutionary standpoint or just the, the way that we are as humans. Um, so, so those are some, some resources that, uh, have been helpful for me. And, um, like I said, starting with, with one thing is typically the best place to go, but, um, and then anybody interested in, in my book, it's just a uh, personality book.com is the best place to get it. Awesome. So outside of that website, which will be in the show notes, where can other people find you?
0: Um, and just dive deeper into to what you're putting out and, and stuff like that.
1: Yeah. So I spend the most time on Instagram and Facebook. Um, Instagram is at coach underscore Mike underscore Milner. Uh, Facebook's just my name, Mike Milner. Um, my website is neurotype training.com. Um, but you know, I, prefer just to connect with people, um, who are, if anybody has questions or anything like that, you know, you can message me on Instagram or Facebook. Nice. And
0: so go hit them up on Instagram. Um, be sure to tag us. If you guys post this anywhere, be sure to tag both of us, um, on social and also Mike does have
1: a very popular podcast. So go ahead and mention that and then we'll end things off. Oh yeah. Awesome. So, uh, it's the mind over macros podcast, um, again, and just sticking with the theme of starting with the month first. And, uh, you know, we're actually approaching episode 100. So it's pretty hard to believe because I thought, uh, or it feels like it was literally just yesterday. And I was like, you know, what? I'm going to start a podcast. And now here we are 100 episodes deep.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's wild. So um, I, I'm in the same boat, like your episode 46, which as of like, eight months ago, nine months ago, this didn't exist. And it's just wild to think that I've had 46 conversations. Um, you know, a few of those were with myself. But, uh, you know, <laughs> to think to have, because those are solo episodes, um, but to think that there has been 46 conversations and things put out in this format, it, it's just kind of wild. And I don't know about you, but I, I've really enjoyed the, the podcast medium. I think it's, for me, it's probably the, the best format um, for myself um, in the way that I articulate thought to to be put out into the world. And I think for the way that our world is sort of set up at this point on the go and um, trying to multitask and make the most of, of your own day, you know, it's hard to sit down and watch something or, you know, we get into the the productive headspace of like, well, I don't want to get on Instagram and just get stuck into scrolling endlessly. So I'll turn on a podcast, I'll do the dishes. And I think it just allows people to be exposed to so many awesome conversations in the background that they otherwise wouldn't have been exposed to. So um, I've loved the podcast medium. I've loved these conversations. And honestly, they wouldn't have been had with the people that I could have had them with or have had them with if it wasn't for the podcast. So I'm I'm extremely grateful for for this medium and this platform.
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I always say it's like my therapy. Uh, you know, I'm I'm pretty long winded, and so when I try to write and put something into like an Instagram caption, it's so frustrating because I always go over. Um, so being able to just turn on the mic and talk to somebody else, or just do a solo episode and and let it go, and not have to try and condense it into a certain you know window or time frame. Uh, that's definitely my preferred method of communication.
0: Same here, man. All right, guys. Um, well, is there anything else that you wanted to mention? That Did we miss anything? Um, I thought we hit quite a few things, but is there anything that you just
1: that's on the tip of your tongue that you just need to get out? No, not at all. That I think that was a, a well-rounded conversation. I, I enjoyed it, so I, I really do appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. Thanks, Mike.
0: All right, go check out Mike on Instagram. Go check out his website um, and his podcast, and then go check out his book if you guys are interested it. All those things will be in the show notes. And we'll talk to you in the next episode. Hey, guys, Austin here. Thank you again for listening into the episode. It means a lot. If you can, please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave the podcast a five-star review. This does help us grow and be found by others. Also, just wanted to mention, if you guys are interested in free education based around training and nutrition, be sure to check out physiquedevelopment.com backslash free education where you will find free downloads, videos, articles, et cetera, no strings attached. Again, thank you, chat soon.